0: All right. Good morning, church, again. And we will be finishing our sermon series through Ezekiel. I hope this sermon series through Ezekiel has been encouraging to you. Like I shared, it's been a a lifeline for me. Just an encouragement before, now, and it'll continue to be an encouragement to me. Today's sermon is titled Yahweh's Watchmen. Yahweh is God's personal and holy name, Yahweh. Paul says to the elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. In other words, to the elders, shepherd them. You are their shepherd. Take care of the flock of God. He also says later on in Acts 20, be watchful. Be watchful of the flock. Elders are the official guardians of the church. But we all have a role in watching out for one another. This is what it means to be a family. It's not just the dad who watches over the family. We all watch over one another. We got each other's back, in other words. That's how this works. That's how a good team works. So today, we're going to focus in on one topic. What do God's watchmen look like? What do God's watchmen look like so we can understand that's the issue here. We're going to have three descriptions of what God's watchmen are marked by. So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. If you have your phones, please turn there. Ezekiel 3, verse 4 to 21 is what we'll be reading and preaching. But a little bit of context. In Ezekiel chapter, two, uh, chapter 1, Ezekiel sees the throne of God. And then the Spirit of God empowers Ezekiel. And then the sweet word of God nourishes and encourages Ezekiel. This is where he's at. And now here are his marching orders by God. So let's rise as we read Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 4 through 21. I'll be reading out of Legacy Standard Bible. This is God's word. Then he said to me, Son of man, go now, come to the house of Israel, and you shall speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible lips or a difficult tongue, but to the house of Israel, nor to many people of unintelligible lips or a difficult tongue, whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn with a strong forehead and stiff heart. Behold, I have made your face as strong as their faces and your forehead as strong as their foreheads. Like diamond stronger than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, Take into your heart all my words which I will speak to you and listen with your ears and go now, come to the exiles, to the sons of your people and you shall speak to them and say to them whether they listen or whether they refuse. Thus says Lord Yahweh. Then the spirit lifted me up and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed be the glory of Yahweh in his place. And I heard the sound of the wings of the living creatures touching one another and the sound of the wheels beside me, even a great rumbling. So the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went embittered in the wrath of my spirit. And the hand of Yahweh was strong on me. Then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river Kabar of Tel Aviv. And I sat there seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. Now it happened at the end of seven days that the word of Yahweh came to me saying, Son of man, I have given you as a watchman to the house of Israel so you will hear a word from my mouth and you shall warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you, are, if you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before him, he will die, since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 21. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you have delivered yourselves. This is the word of Yahweh. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. God's watchmen are marked by three things in in this portion of scripture. Three things. God's watchmen are marked by toughness, number one. Number two, tenderness. Toughness, tenderness. And number three, trustworthy warnings. Trustworthy warnings. As we learned last week, ministry is always difficult. It's always hard. Like we talked about, an easy ministry is an oxymoron. Why is that, though? Why does it have to be that way? Well, because it's a people business. And I don't mean like a dollars and cents business, but it's, a, it's why you're here. You're here to serve and care for people. And we do live in a sinful and fallen world. I mean, think about it. Think about it. In your area of life, whether it's family, maybe a sports team that you're a part of, maybe at work, maybe church life, there are hard things like finances and things like that, and programs, computer things that break down, and budgets. We get that. Those are all challenging things. But those things make sense. We understand why those things are not working well, why the numbers don't add up, so to speak. When I was coaching, of course, there was like X's and O's, and how do we stop this team, and all that sort of a thing. How do we schedule things? Those are important. But it was a people who gave me the greatest joy, but also the greatest burden. Because people can be illogical does not make sense, does not compute to us. this is not how he or she should be acting. They should understand. See this is where Ezekiel finds himself. This is where Ezekiel finds himself. God says, I'm sending you to the house of Israel. God says, they will sp- you speak my words to them. God says they will understand your words. They don't have a difficult tongue. You should be able to understand one another. In other words, I'm not sending you to a foreign people group. Speak to them. They should be able to understand they're your people. But verse 7 goes on to say, Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. Doesn't make sense. Ezekiel, this should be able to make sense. It's not a language barrier. It's not a cultural barrier does not there's not a you have the same understanding of God they should be able to understand. See the problem is not that they will not understand the message but the problem is that they will clearly understand the message that's the issue. And this is where Ezekiel finds himself. It's not a logical problem. Okay, it's not a logical problem, it's a spiritual problem. It's deeper than that. And this is where Ezekiel finds himself. And what does God say in verse seven? Continue on, since they are not willing to listen to me. It's not you who they're gonna reject Ezekiel. They they have actually rejected me. It's not your words. It's like what uh, God says to Samuel. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They, they've rejected me as being king. That's the issue here. And they're stubborn. They have, it's, God's word says they had a, a strong forward. That means they're hard-hearted, hard-headed, excuse me. And they have a stiff heart. They have a hardened heart. They're spiritually dead. They are not able to listen to you. In other words, Ezekiel hears a suicide mission. It's like, you go, speak my word to them. There's not going to be much fruit. I mean, it might have been easier if he feels sent to the Babylonians. He'll probably have more positive results than speaking to the Israelites. Isn't God gracious to us that he doesn't tell us all the details of life? (laughs) Right? I mean, imagine if we knew everything before we enter into a relationship or a ministry That's part of God's grace. We just get to walk in it, but Ezekiel gets the details here. Back in Seattle, I remember Coach was great about just encouraging the the team. Navy SEALs, Blue Angel pilots would come by. You've had people who done, who've, who've coached up space divers. What is that? That's not a, a skydiver. This is a space diver, where people at the crust of space and Earth are, jump off and they try to land and with a parachute on, onto an X marks a spot. And we've had people who coached up those type of people come and share with us. We've had people who come who, who've ran hundred mile marathons and things like that. Like what in the world? But one day we had this five foot, maybe five foot, she had heels on, (laughs) Asian American woman come up and start speaking to us, and the guys stood up like, okay, this is different. This is a different type of speaker. And but she came and spoke confidently, and she says confidently, "What is the the number one predictor of success?" She says, "It's not good looks." It's not your health, it's not your talent, it's not your IQ, it's grit. That's what she says. So this is Angela Duckworth who came and spoke to us. And she defines grit as having passion and perseverance towards long-term goals. Meaning, you, there's a passion within you which produces perseverance in the face of obstacles and long-term goals. You stick at, stay after it, you don't give up. This is the number one predictor of success, she says. I mean, it's the mentality of highly successful people. People who are successful have a track record of not giving up. I mean, you hear stories about that all the time. These are driven people. These people want to succeed, and they're, like, possessed with what they have to do. And this is what God's watchmen must have. God's watchmen, point number one, are marked by toughness. Toughness. Toughness, good old fashioned toughness. I find it interesting that, and she comes from the Ivy League, that the, the academia will study something like grit where just common folks know this already. Like, you need to be tough in order to be successful in a tough world. I mean, that's, that's just normal. That's just normal thinking. I mean, pro football can be tough, but living in both worlds, I would say ministry is tougher, ministry is harder and it calls for more than just some kind of a humanistic pull myself up with a bootstrap mentality like I'm going to get this done thing it takes a spiritual toughness that only God could provide you see friends in church if god's called you to a ministry god will equip you to do it he will hold you fast he's not going to let you go and, and go off to a suicide mission without strengthening you he will give you What you need, Zechariah 4, 6, again, says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. God's empowering. Ezekiel's name means God strengthens or God hardens. His own name talks about how God would strengthen him. What a perfect name. Somehow God inspired his parents to call him Ezekiel. Every time he heard the name Ezekiel, God strengthens Ezekiel, God hardens, God toughens, God strengthens. What a great name. Isn't it important if you're about to name any children names? Think hard about that, okay? Because every time you say their name, it's reminding them of who they are or who you you want them to be. Let's look at verse 8 here, how God does this. Behold, I have made your face as strong as their faces, and your forehead as strong as their foreheads. I have made, just look at that, underline that if you're into marking up your Bible. I have made, I have made you hardened, Ezekiel. I have made you tough, Ezekiel. Face, what does it mean to have a strong face or countenance? That's your countenance, that you're, you're not swayed, you're not terrified, your eyes are focused. I remember looking into the eyes of people, even right now as a pastor, as you look into the eyes of a man or a woman or even a child, you can almost read their mind what's going on in their hearts. Your countenance is like you're locked in. You have a laser focus. This is the countenance that God gives Ezekiel. What does it mean when your forehead will be strong? That means your, your will and your determination, like two rams c- crashing into each other. God will give you the will and the determination to see your calling through. In other words, God is saying, Ezekiel, I'll make you grittier. I'll make you tougher than Israel. As stubborn as they are, you're going to be even more stubborn. It's good to be stubborn for the right things. Amen. You don't want to be stubborn against God. You want to be stubborn for God, and we all need God's given God given spiritual toughness. And what does this look like? What does it look like to have this spiritual toughness that's been given to you by God by God's grace? Look, let's look at verse eight, uh, verse nine. Excuse me. Behold, verse nine, like diamond, stronger than flint. What does that mean? I have major forehead, like diamond. Diamond, even back then, maybe your Bible says emery or corundum. That's a hard substance, basically. Emery or diamonds were the, one of the hardest substances or stones in the ancient days. Is still one of the strongest. I mean, those road saws I think about, that are, they have diamonds on them to cut through concrete. That's what I'm going to make you like, Ezekiel. I'm going to turn you on, and I'm going to use you like a saw that cuts through these hard-hearted Israelites. You're going to have grit, Ezekiel. I'm going to make you gritty and tough and strong. And grit has been uh, uh, described this way. When resolve meets reality... It's easy to have resolve in the air-conditioned room, maybe with friends and family, and who are cheering you on, like "Yes, I'm going to do this." And all of a sudden, that person gets into your face, <laughs> right? Or, or things don't work out that you want them to do. Like, what? That's not what I planned for. So, grit is being able to apply res- uh, resolution or re- resolve, being resilient in the face of reality. We're able to cut through difficulties. It's encouraging because as a pastor, I see the spirit toughening Evergreen Baptist Church. This is somewhat of an unprecedented time in terms of our budget situation or our finances. It's much more comfortable as, hey, church, we're in the black again, which it has been for many years. But God has a purpose in this. God is getting our eyes into heaven and trusting him in it. I love how the leaders have responded Many of them just say, "Hey, keep preaching." I see discipleship happening. We just got to weather the storm. I love that. I don't say change the plan. Change the, that's kind of adjust degrees. We don't hear that. I don't hear that from lay leadership. I don't hear that from the pastors. I'm grateful for this. I'm that's this. This is an encouragement to us all. I don't see fear. As verse nine goes on to say, right here. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are rebellious. Do not be afraid or dismayed. In the positive, God is saying, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous is the call for Christians, for God's people. I mean, from the beginning, Moses tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Yahweh, God himself, speaks to Joshua, be strong and courageous. King David, as he's about to die and pass on the mantle or the the crown to King Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous. Build a temple. The generals of Israel tell the army, be strong and courageous. Act like a man. This is what Christians are called to be like, God's people. However, today's culture enables softness, I see. I think you see the same thing softness cowardice the pendulum has swung too far right no leadership is perfect but the pendulum has swung way too far promoting fear think about what's on the media constantly some kind of new virus or some kind of army some kind of a new uh, opponent in, in, in the war against terrorism whatever it's constantly the media the world is trying to make you and me fearful Think about the enabling culture that we have. It's okay to shoplift some amounts of money. That's okay. Are you kidding me? It's okay. You don't have to pay back loans. Like, what is that? That just doesn't make sense. How about this victimhood mentality? Like, it's always somebody else's fault that, that, that the reason why you have troubles in your life. That's not okay. Certainly there's wrong done. And when it's done, it needs to be addressed. However, it feels like our culture is just pouring this on. Pouring this on. Weakening our minds. Weakening our wills. Entitled, even. But God says something different. Paul describes elders or leaders of the church in 2 Timothy 2 to be like soldiers at war. God describes elders by Paul and Timothy two two as the athlete competing according to the rules. Or the hard-working farmer. All these descriptions are hard, gritty, tough people. This is what ministry requires. As we apply this to our church family, watchmen need to be spiritually tough. This is a requirement. You don't want wimpy leaders. You don't want that. You don't want that. Because the elders who are called by God to serve and protect the church are at the tip of the spear. They're like that diamond hitting into that concrete. You need hard, toughened people. Think about it. If you're even thinking about an elder, I mean, people who you love and know will misunderstand you. They may say unkind words to you. They may uh, be critical to you. But it takes thick skin to to true the fruit. Excuse you. (laughs) Let me get back here. I usually don't get thrown off, but that one got me. That was a good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. It takes thick skin to chew the fruit and spit out the seed when you hear criticism. Like, how can I get better? Where is there truth in this? That's a good thing that you're able to do. Like, all right, this is not personal, but I could get better from this. That's a, it, it takes thick skin. It takes courage to stand alone because it could be lonely at times being misunderstood. It requires spiritual grit for potential persecution that may be coming down the road. It takes resolve to make difficult decisions for the good, the health of the church. These are hard tasks. I mean, every leader understands If you're a mom or dad, you understand this to some degree. You understand this, right? If you're in your family, if you're going through some type of trial right now, whether it's a health trial, whether it's a financial trial, a relational trial, Just know this, man of God. God will lift up your countenance. You'll look at your wife in your eyes and say, you know what, God's got this somehow. We don't know how this is going to end up, but God's got this somehow. We trust in God's providence, His purposeful sovereignty. God will lift up your countenance. Not a countenance of your own self, but of God. This is what God will do for you. Trials show what you believe and God will show you, himself faithful to you in these trials now I know I talked a lot about toughness and I don't know I mean I do I did coach football so maybe that kind of comes off naturally in some ways but even in coaching spiritual uh, uh, toughness is is not enough and particularly in the life of the church spiritual toughness is essential but we also need to be balanced. God's watchmen are, point number two, are marked by tenderness. Not just toughness, but also tenderness. Shifting gears now as Ezekiel is processing all this about hard-headed Israel, and how he will give be given a hard head as well. Then here's something, it's a revisit of the, of the vision of the throne room of God. He hears the angels. He hears the wheels turning. He hears God moving. And I believe, I think he says, blessed be the glory of Yahweh in this place. He he bursts out in praise. And this is important that we understand this. God says, fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. God says to keep your eyes into heaven. And so if you're in some kind of a leadership role or any ministry assignment that's difficult, we need to keep our eyes into heaven. Because as we keep our eyes into heaven, no matter what's happening, no matter what type of concrete or hardness is coming at us, God will continue to do something in you. Not only will he toughen you, he'll tenderize you. And I believe this is what happens here. In verse 14, I spent a lot of time thinking and wrestling over verse 14. What does this mean? Verse 14 says, So the Spirit lifted me up, lifts up Ezekiel, and took me away. And I went embittered in the wrath of my spirit. What does that mean? I went embittered in the wrath of my spirit. I think it's a combination of two things. Number one, I think reality sitting in. Like what? That's my ministry assignment. Are you kidding me? I mean some it sounds good until you start walking in it. Right? I mean that's that's life. It sounds good until you start walking in it. They're not even going to listen to me. I'm in my prime and I'm gonna waste my prime talking to people who are, who are gonna reject everything that I say. So I think there's I think reality of that sets in. There's it is a difficult ministry assignment. But I'm going to tell you a quick story that might illustrate what I'm about to read here. Last night, Timothy, we're at a game, and he was on the sideline just sitting there. He's the water boy, and Timothy's our son. And his stomach hurt, and he couldn't move, and he was like, what's going on? And, you know, second half, he felt better, but it turns out he ate something. (laughs) As we've all been there before, he ate something. That tasted good at the time, but wasn't very helpful in the belly. And that's what the Word of God can do for us sometimes. What do I mean by that? I found this verse, which is a nice hyperlink or cross-reference, Revelation 10, verse 9 and 10. Revelation 10, 9 and 10. The Apostle John has a similar experience as Ezekiel, where he's given a scroll, and he eats it. And this is what what happens here. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little scroll and he said to me, take it and eat it. Sounds very similar. It will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand and ate it and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it my stomach was made bitter. Why was that word that scroll bitter well just gotta look in context Ezekiel 2.10 says that the scroll was full of lamentations sighing and woe this is a word of judgment for Israel this is a very difficult word destruction is coming on Jerusalem the whole the city it's, city of David is going to be destroyed the temple is going to be destroyed the glory of Yahweh is leaving Israel's temple and as Israel as Ezekiel's getting to set in on this word, it was sweet because he is feeling the closeness of God. He's hearing from God, but then reality sits in like, my people are going to be destroyed. Judgment's coming. And I see the wrath of God upon them. And I'm starting to feel God's wrath, a certain indignation. We have been rebellious. We have been sinful God doesn't leave him there. So he feels embittered. Difficult ministry, difficult word. But it says, the hand of Yahweh was strong on me. This word, this phrasing is used nearly 190 times in the Old Testament. The hand of Yahweh is talking about God's power and authority. God's power and authority was upon him strongly. And Let's look at verse 15. Then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river Kabar at Tel Aviv. He goes to the exiles. And I sat there seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. In your ESV, it says overwhelmed. That was overwhelmed. And as I studied the context of Ezekiel, I think the ESV got it better. I think Ezekiel was feeling overwhelmed at this point as he sat with the uh, Israelites for seven days. And seven days—it was a amount of days that Job and his friends sat together without speaking together, just lamenting and just sitting there, overwhelmed. I believe Ezekiel feels overwhelmed right now at the reality of what's going to happen to Israel. And what does he do here? He says that he says that I sat there seven days where they were living. The King, King James version, version says, "I sat where they sat." What does that mean? I, I think Ezekiel was starting to walk in their shoes. I think Ezekiel was starting to empathize with how the Israelites were doing, the exiles were doing, how they lost home, they lost family, they lost people, they lost friendly location, they, lost, they thought they lost the promises of God even. And I believe God is slowly tenderizing Ezekiel's heart, tenderizing him softening his heart towards the Israelites although they are stiff-necked hard-hearted Ezekiel's heart is being tenderized and he begins to love the people you see church if you're called to serve a people God will give you heart for them God will give you a love for this people that you serve and as elders future elders or we need to be with the sheep we need to be with the sheep. There's something incredible that happens when you do hospital home visits days away from loved ones dying where you're holding their hand, looking them in the eye and reading John 10 to them. Say, the Lord is, is the good shepherd. He'll never leave you. He'll never let you go. The Father will never let you go. There's something amazing that takes place when you care for families at funerals. There's something that amazing that happens when you walk with families during joyful occasions with weddings and have meals with people. Sitting with and, and, and walking with people who are struggling with sin and temptation. Something happens to you. You know what I'm talking about for those who are actively doing. You know what I'm talking about. Being with them. Being with the sheep. Elders need to we're sheep too but we need to smell like sheep because we're hanging out with the sheep once in a while we got we need to be in the locker room Okay, we need to be with the people we need to be with the players this is how this works this is not just something where we're elders and all of a sudden there's a disconnect elders are sheep too and I believe this is what happens to, in a spiritual sense to Ezekiel where he's being tenderized yes God has toughened him but God has been tenderizing him he begins to grow a heart for Israel. Just like Paul, Acts 20, 31, which was read by uh, Brother James Kagawa, therefore be watchful, right? Be a watchman, Acts 20, 31. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I I did not cease to admonish or warn each each one with tears. With tears. This is not just some academic I have to do exercise. Paul was admonishing, warning with tears. See, elders need to be tough as rhinos, right? But tender as children. This is what elders are to be like. Tough and tender. Because if you're only tough, you're going to be a brute. That doesn't work. Not even for pro football players. <laughs> that doesn't work. Trust me, that doesn't work. All right? But you cannot only be tender. You'd you be a wimp. You'd be a coward. That doesn't work either. You need to have Both. You need to have both. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. Paul says this. Be watchful or be alert. There it is. Be a watchman. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be strong and courageous. But he doesn't stop there. Let all that you do be done in love. There it is. Tough and tender. It's So if you're called as an elder, God will give you a tender heart for Evergreen Baptist Church. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We must love those who we serve. Our final mark here, this next mark actually requires toughness and tenderness. This next mark actually requires toughness and tenderness because God's watchmen, point number three, are marked by trustworthy warnings trustworthy warnings let's turn to verse 16 of ezekiel chapter 3 now it happened at the end of seven days that the word of yahweh came to me saying son of man i have given you as a watchman to the house of israel so that you will hear a word from my mouth and you will warn them from me this is his role your role is to warn the people of coming judgment to repent, to turn from your sinful ways, or else disaster is coming. It takes toughness to do this. Who wants to bring hard news to people, bad news to people? Who wants to being to confront or being conflict with others? That's not natural. We don't want to do that. It takes a certain toughness, a certain grit to keep moving forward. Today, the culture seems like you, we just are called to affirm others. This. They're telling them how great they are. And this is what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, chapter uh, verse 1. 2 Timothy 4:1. He says this: I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. I charge you in the face of the King of glory. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, whether it's popular or not popular. Preach the word reprove rebuke there it is warn reprove rebuke correct exhort with great patience and teaching with great patience be loving be tender look what happens in the future for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but want to have their ears tickled to be affirmed constantly to tell them how great they are They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's what Paul warns us is going to happen. and You can't cater to that. We cannot cater to that. This is not like Burger King. You know, you can have it your way. This is God's ways here, right? It's encouraging to hear a group of men pray for me before the sermon. This was just a late add-in, but we're just talking and praising God for how men of the past have been. I mean, we're talking way past a man named Tom Fukuyama came up years ago. He was teaching and preaching the Bible. How they were have been watchmen here, encouraging people in the right ways. Isn't that encouraging? How God has had His people throughout our church, right? This is amazing. So this is a tough assignment, though. This is a tough assignment to warn. But love needs to be the motivation. Love needs to be the motivation. Love is a manner in which we teach. Love is in the the manner in which we correct, we warn. This is the most loving thing to do. To warn people. And culturally, that might not be loving, right? Some Some of our culture, we're just saying, do not confront. You don't want to go there. This is not loving. No, actually, it is loving if you tell them the judgment is coming. And who is Ezekiel to warn the Israelites from? Who's the threat? Is it Babylon? Is it Egypt? Is it maybe the culture or some kind of new enemy? No, that's, those aren't the enemies. Those aren't the warnings. Ezekiel is called to warn Israel from God. God is the one that they're to fear. God is the coming tsunami storm that's going to come crashing down on Israel. Let's read verse 18 here, here, Ezekiel chapter 3. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. You see what he's saying? Because he if you fail to warn people of coming judgment, they're going to die, but it's going to be your responsibility. The blood is on your head. Ezekiel, if you don't warn the people. Verse 19. Yet, on the other side of the coin, if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wicked and he from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. See that? The watchman's responsibility is to provide a trustworthy warning. Like, this is true. You need to repent of your sins because you will be judged. And Ezekiel 18.20, turn with me to Ezekiel 18.20. I think this is an important clarification here. Ezekiel 18.20. Because there's been a certain movement in the evangelical world where people are repenting of sins that... Perhaps their ancestors committed hundreds of years ago, right? And as if they're, like, apologizing for this, as if they were the ones who did this. Certainly we should be empathetic. Certainly we should acknowledge wrongs from the past. But does God hold you accountable for the sins of your ancestors? You need to think about this. Because some of us may burden, be burdened by guilt for from family history and things like that that only you know of. But so read Ezekiel 18.20 the soul who sins will die okay however the son will not bear the iniquity of the father see that the son the child will not bear the iniquity of the father nor will the father bear the iniquity of the son the righteousness of the righteous will, will be upon righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself meaning what are you warning people of their own sins. Your own sin is what you need to repent of. Right? That that's that's needs to be informing our consciences. Like It's your own sin, not your ancestors, not great-grandpa, not grandparents, none, none of that. It's your own sin. And I think people need to understand that. You don't want to go beyond what God requires. You want to go with what God has said. Paul goes on to say in Acts 20... I'm innocent of all blood, of the blood of all. I preach the whole counsel of God. I've I've told you everything he told the Ephesian elders. So my blood, the blood is, I'm washed clean. I'm not responsible now. Whatever you do is up to you now. And that's what the watchmen are called to do. That's what elders are called to do, to preach the word. That's what you're to do as a parent, to warn your child. That's what you're to do as a friend when you see your friend in sin, to warn them and to instruct them in the right ways that's what we're called to do lovingly now you may say to what extent Rocky is it like I'm supposed to every guy that I see at the bus station to every customer I see no it's like well let's look at the context of Ezekiel Ezekiel was called to minister to the exiles of Israel that was his ministry context the house of Israel what is your context I'm not sure if, you're, if you have a spouse, certainly him or her. If you have children, certainly them. Maybe coworkers that you see all the time. Maybe people that you, friends that you're friends with. Maybe family uh, members. Maybe that, like I prayed earlier, maybe that uncle that you're going to see at, at Christmas dinner. That, that I'll, go for it. <laughs> right? So we're not responsible to speak to everybody, but who has God given you to warn? I remember early on, maybe my first year here, and I was addressing some idols that I felt like I saw in the church. And and one of the idols that I felt like I recognized was family, nuclear family idolatry. And I remember talking about, um, maybe out of Matthew 10, perhaps, it's so long ago, but Matthew 10, about how Jesus says, if you love your family more than me, you're not fit for me or you're not worthy of me. And I remember uh, a sister came to me, a week later or so, and said, you know, when you preached that message, you made my friend, she didn't tell me who it was, question their faith. Don't you think you should be more encouraging? And I promptly asked her, are you strongly confident that she is actually a believer? And she goes, kind of gave me one of these. And I said, well, isn't that amazing that she could actually test herself to see if she's in the faith? That is the most loving thing to do. And in particular, this role that this pulpit has, that blood is on my hands if I don't warn the church. This is the seriousness of being a watchman. And I want to just say that, because that whatever role that you have, whatever uh, opportunities that God gives you, speak the truth in love. And certainly we could all grow, myself grow, in maybe the delivery maybe the timing, of course, all those things. Yet we need to speak the truth in love. That's how this works. I want to close here. Let's just turn to Ezekiel 34 here. Ezekiel is so much, and we want to scratch the surface here of this amazing book. I'm going to try to give you a flavor of what's going on here. and um, This whole portion, Ezekiel is called to be a watchman. He's called to be a watchman, a shepherd for Israel, and who's supposed to be tough and tender and deliver a trustworthy message. But Ezekiel 34, there's a prophecy coming of not a human shepherd, uh, but the ultimate shepherd. Let me read Ezekiel 34 verse 10. And this is what Ezekiel is called to be like, the ultimate chief shepherd the great shepherd. This is what we're all called to be like. This is what I'm called to be like. Let's read verse 10. Thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against the shepherds. These are the false shepherds, the kings, the false prophets of Israel who led them astray. And I will seek my flock from their hand and make them cease from shepherding the flock. He will get rid of the false teachers, false shepherds. Later on, it'd be the Pharisees. So the shepherds will not shepherd themselves anymore, meaning they are in it for themselves. But I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. False shepherds feed on the people. Verse 11, look at this promise. For thus says Lord Yahweh Behold, I myself will seek my sheep and care for them. You see that God Himself says, I'm coming. I'm coming to care for the sheep. I'm coming to care for the people myself as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his sheep which are spread out. So I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they are scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and all the inhabited places of the land. I will shepherd them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and be shepherded in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will shepherd my flock, and I will make them lie down, declares Lord Yahweh. Isn't that amazing? God himself says he's going to care for us. God gives us the model what it looks like to be tough and tender. God gives us the model to to give a trustworthy message. It's Christ himself. In in other words, Ezekiel is describing Christ right here. This is Christ. And isn't it amazing that Jesus is both tough and tender? He is both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. He's both. So as we talk about elders and leaders or dads, moms, any leadership role, we want to look like Jesus Christ. And only way that we could look like Jesus Christ if you know Jesus Christ and have a close, intimate walk with Jesus Christ. He is the one that we look at this is communion Sunday and, and, and this is a great opportunity for us to examine our hearts to see where our hearts are at and I, I just have been overwhelmed by by John 10 and I'm gonna, as I pray and close this sermon up I'm just going to pray through John 10 how Jesus fulfills this in John 10 he and in, in, says that he fulfills this by calling himself the good shepherd I am the good shepherd so let's just pray. I'm going to praise God for being the good Jesus being the good shepherd here. Let's pray, for church. Father in heaven, thank you for Christ, your son, who is the good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, as you say, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Thank you, Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, who's not like a hireling or hired hand who runs when the wolves come but stays and defends the flock, Lord. Thank you that you are the tough guardian. If a wolf snatches any one of us, you'll come after us. Thank you for being the tough watchman, Lord, the shepherd. Thank you that you're not the hired hand, Lord, who runs and who cares for your sheep. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know your own and you call us by name. You love us, Lord. You are the tender shepherd who knows us and loves us. Thank you that you call out to us personally, individually. And when we hear your voice, we respond and we come to you, the the one shepherd. Thank you, Lord Jesus, how you say that it is on your own accord that you will lay down your life because you will also take it up on the third day after you've been killed. Father, thank you for this time to just think about Christ, Lord even during this Advent season, how he came the first time to die as the Lamb of God, how the second time you're coming as the Lion of Judah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we could look at you. We could see you as our God, not just as a model, but as our God, as our shepherd. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.